0: for 22 years there has really been one case that has haunted the mountains and that would be the mystery of an 18 year old that shortly vanished after leaving work from the get-go rumors of a lover's triangle to the hiring of a hitman would kick off a circus that would surround the disappearance of zeb quinn in just 15 years after Zeb disappeared, one of the most gruesome murders here in Buncombe County, Western North Carolina, that would be the murder and dismembering of a couple that left the bright lights of Hollywood for the slower paced mountain town. Now, what connects these two cases? One man, a man that truly held the answers to the questions detectives and the community had for decades. Walking you through this is going to be me, your host, Samir Nafsi, a general assignment and special projects reporter here at WLOS in Asheville, North Carolina.
1: And I'm Holly Hedrick, one of the evening anchors here at WLOS and the Western North Carolina native. Over this limited series podcast, we're going to walk you through the Zeb Quinn disappearance and the murders of the Cods, all leading up to the answers detectives, family members, and of course
0: the community have been searching for. This is A Good Kit, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn.
1: And this was honestly, and still is, one of the biggest mysteries in Western North Carolina. So let's learn a little more about Zeb Quinn's murder.
0: You know, Holly, the title of this podcast really gives it away, A Good Kid. That is something you'd hear from anyone who had any type of interaction with Zeb Quinn, it was just how kind-spirited and, and, and nice this kid was. He was 18 years old when he disappeared in 2000. He was born in 1981. Pretty average guy. He was about 5'9", 165 pounds. He had brown hair, blue eyes, medium build. Uh, just a very average guy. He went to T.C. Robertson High School here in South Asheville, South Buncombe County.
1: He was involved in ROTC, which he really enjoyed. He was very disciplined being involved in the ROTC program. He liked to fish. Again, back then in 2000, fishing was a lot of fun here in the Asheville area, all across Western North Carolina, really, because back then things were much slower paced here. We didn't have all of the tourism and all of the development. We had more mountainous areas and more wooded areas. And keep in mind, Asheville's nestled in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And the Blue Ridge Parkway was a big attraction growing up here. You'd go leaf-looking with your parents on the parkway, and you'd hike, and you'd camp... Zeb, just like me, was just a kid from the
0: mountains. And one thing you can really tell, I've been in the area for a, a little over a year, is how close everyone is here. It's a very family-oriented area, and that's something a lot of people said about Zeb, was he was super connected with his mom. They had a tight-knit relationship. Now, what's interesting for this uh, project, we actually spoke to one of the national reporters who covered the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. That's a man by the name of Brett Forster. He was working for Spin Magazine at the time when he came here to Asheville, and he met with Zeb's family. He met with detectives and he also met with a couple other people who played a key part in this investigation. And he also mentioned how close they were and a lot of people would say Zeb Quinn was a mama's boy and just super close with his mom, Denise. I want to actually go ahead and play a soundbite from an interview we had with Denise, Zeb's mother, where she's just talking uh, about Zeb's personality. Go ahead and take a listen.
1: A kid that had no trouble whatsoever showing his affection. Didn't matter what his schoolmates, classmates, thought he would hug me in front of them. And, you know, we were really close and he was a good kid. You mentioned Brett Forrester earlier, a journalist for Spin Magazine, and according to one of the articles that he did, he said that Zeb liked to play pool with his father, and we understand they used to go to a place called Q and Spirits. It's on Hendersonville Road in South Asheville, actually down from the Walmart where Zeb worked, so it was close to his workplace. Q and Spirits, I've been there. Um, There weren't a whole lot of places to go during that time because there wasn't a lot of commercial development, so the pool hall, the movie theater, that's kind of what you did in the early 2000s. Q and Spirits, a quaint little place, your typical pool hall, a little dark inside, bar, but it was really where everybody went to hang out. And it was nice to know that he had that relationship with his dad and he could go play pool there.
0: You mentioned it's just down the road from the Walmart where Seb Quinn worked. So we know he worked at the Hendersonville Walmart, uh, really a well-beloved employee at that location. But what we know... Zeb truly liked about Walmart is that paycheck, right? Sure.
1: (laughs) Getting paid. (laughs)
0: Is always the best part. And Zeb (laughs) would brag to people about this $450 paycheck he was expecting. Now, what's interesting and and will kind of become important later on in the story is that this paycheck of $450 is actually going to go towards a vehicle that Zeb was thinking about purchasing, a, a used vehicle. We also know Zeb Quinn was enrolled at AB Tech, which is a university here in Asheville, a community college. But Holly, you actually were in college in 2000. So give us a little bit more of perspective uh, of that time frame.
1: So I wasn't in school here at AB Tech. I was away at Chapel Hill, but I came back here to work on the weekends. Ironically, I worked at a little bar in between the Walmart and the pool hall on Hendersonville Road. So I came back here and worked on the weekends. It was a safe place. That's how I would describe growing up here. We had very little Crime at this point in Asheville, it was a safe place to where you didn't lock your doors, you didn't lock your house doors, you didn't lock your car doors. You just felt really good, and everybody was just happy. And until all of a sudden, we started seeing these posters show up, and there was this mystery going on, and it started to kind of take that safety net away from those of us growing up here,
0: which really took a dark turn, especially in this story and disappearance. So this brings us now to January 2nd of 2000. This marks the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. So we know that Zeb Quinn was working at that Walmart on Hendersonville Road on January 2nd. Now, what's interesting, a coworker of Zeb Quinn actually spotted him in the parking lot talking to a man by the name of Robert Jason Owens around 7.30. Robert was a former employee. So Zeb goes back to work and he clocks out around 9.07. And this would mark the last time anyone had seen or heard from Zeb Quinn.
1: And this is not a person, again, the good kid, that you would
0: expect to just vanish just like that. That's right. And his mom really echoes that statement that she wasn't anticipating her son would just simply vanish. So let's go ahead and kick out to a soundbite from his mother where she talks about the last time she interacted with Zeb Quinn.
1: I wished him Happy New Year and kissed him and told him I loved him.
0: And that was the last time I saw him.
1: Which, of course, is so sad that that's the last time she saw him. Zeb stayed in constant contact with his mom, but he had to be in contact with her via pager because, you know, back then we didn't have caller ID, cell phones, iPads, or any of that.
0: Right. It was such an interesting time, but we know January 2nd, when he disappeared, and it was on January 3rd, so just a day after Zeb, the communication stopped between Zeb and his family, his mother issued or at least filed a police missing persons report with APD. And that's really where WLOS comes into play. I want to go ahead and play the first interview we ever did on this story. Uh, it's with Zeb's maternal grandmother just talking uh, about the possibility if Zeb just took off and ran away.
1: The only thing if he ran away would be if he, if he was afraid for his life or something. But he's never been involved with any anything
0: All right. So now it's out. Zeb Quinn is missing. So people at Walmart, the place he worked in where he was truly loved by almost everyone there, including shoppers, they start to rally behind this case to help generate attention. And we know the Walmart location actually had this giant poster that they had in their store, and it had Zeb's photo. It indicated that he was missing, and it had his Walmart employee badge. that just said Zeb on it. And what was interesting, we did a number of stories just talking with employees there. I also want to note they had these yellow ribbons that they would wear. I don't know why exactly every employee there had it, but it was something uh, attached to Zeb Quinn. And we had it throughout uh, almost all of our reports from the early 2000s uh, in that Walmart. But go ahead and take a listen to an interview we had with one of Zeb's co-workers. And he just actually speaks about people and customers uh, invested in wanting to know what the latest information about Zeb Quinn was. I probably talked to
1: 10 or 15 people a day that, uh, Ask, you know, how's how's Zeb? Has anybody heard anything about Zeb? Everybody, everybody's worried about him. Zeb's mother obviously is now reaching out to everyone that she possibly can. Listen to this other interview with another one of Zeb's coworkers.
0: You know, his family really misses him. You know, they put a billboard out there on on Sweeten Creek. His mom did, and uh, they miss him very much. You know, she's in sometimes shopping.
1: The billboard was a constant on Sweeten Creek Road. Every time you drive by it, it would remind you of this case, remind you that Zeb was missing, which is what it was intended to do, was to, you know, get people talking. Mm -hmm. But it was an eerie thing to see, and it stayed up for a really long time.
0: Yeah, it was meant to generate attention for this case. Denise Villarcas wanted to know what happened to her child. So check this out. She filed that missing persons report on January 3rd, just the day after Zeb Quinn was last seen at work. But what's interesting, she actually put one person down under friend slash associate, and that would be a person by the name of Misty Taylor who would become a pretty important figure in this case when you search the disappearance of Zeb Quinn. Obviously, Zeb comes up, but a person by the name of Misty Taylor, a female, comes up, and she would be interviewed, and and pretty important throughout this case, as well as public opinion when people got a hold of that name. And Misty was somebody
1: that Zeb talked about a lot. They hadn't known each other very long, apparently just a couple weeks prior to his disappearance, which was also interesting that his mother would know her name. And she knew some details about her, too, when she filed this report, right?
0: Yeah, she had a couple things she knew. uh, Name, obviously, address, number. And it all boils back to this location of Costa's Kitchen. This is where Zeb first met Misty Taylor, and that relationship actually started to form.
1: And it was formed to where... Honestly, his coworkers at Walmart were kind of tired of hearing about it. Zeb would go and he would talk about this girl misty that he had some feelings for, and it almost annoyed some people because he talked about her so much. And from our understanding, it was one of Zeb's first crushes. But what's interesting, Samir, she wasn't single.
0: Yeah, that's where the waters really start to murk in this story. Now, Misty Taylor, she had a child at the time to a guy by the name of Wesley Smith.
1: Wesley Smith was the boyfriend. Tell us more about him.
0: Yeah, so Wesley, obviously dating Misty Taylor, they had a child together. Wesley, a painter of the area, he worked for his father. But there was actually a connection with Zeb in this whole thing, excluding Misty Taylor. Wesley and Zeb actually went to the same school. Now they weren't in the same grade, but they did uh, kind of overlap at the same place of, of education. But what's interesting, we know through reports uh, from APD uh, as well as witness statements that Zeb attempted to call Misty one night. And Zeb told people that Wesley actually picked up the phone or at least called him back. And now Wesley's alleged to have threatened Zeb at this point. And the reason he got in contact back through him was he star 69 the call. And obviously, it went back to Zeb Quinn.
1: And that's what you had to do back then because you didn't have caller ID. You said star 69 and it would call it back. So Zeb would tell people after this happened, that he was fearful of Wesley Smith. During an interview with the investigators, Zeb's co worker Gary Schuford told police that Zeb told him that, quote, Wesley Smith was crazy.
0: Yeah, it just gets weird and weirder, so to speak, with this case. But what we do know, there was some chatter uh, with the Walmart co workers as well as in the community that Wesley Smith was allegedly abusive towards Misty Taylor. Another person started to get involved at this point, and that's Brandy Quinn. So, Zeb Quinn's older sister. She's alleged to have at one point contacted Misty Taylor, asking if she had been in contact with Zeb Quinn. But Misty tells Brandy, she's like, hey, I hadn't been in contact with Zeb. I know nothing about his whereabouts. But Gary told investigators kind of a different story because Misty basically let on that she hadn't been in contact with Zeb Quinn the day he disappeared. But when investigators start to talk to Gary, he said that Zeb was actually waiting all day, for a page from Misty Taylor.
1: Again, Gary is the co-worker at Walmart with Zeb, and Gary really helped paint a picture, or at least the hours before Zeb's disappearance. He tells investigators that Zeb was talking to Robert Jason Owens just before he clocked out of work. And this was around 7.30, and remember, Zeb clocked out of work at 9.07 and was never seen again.
0: I actually want to play an interview with Zeb's mother at this point and you can just hear in her voice she is desperate for the answers as to what happened to Zeb Quinn or at least where Zeb Quinn was located.
1: I've, I've talked and talked and talked with people and the hardest thing of all is not knowing um my daughter and I both you know if Zeb is dead then we can go with that but not knowing It's so hard. Understandably. I mean, I'm a mother. The bond and the love that you have with your child is unconditional. And remember, Zeb and his mom were really close.
0: Yeah. So Denise actually shared this story at one point, kind of to build out that relationship between uh, her and her son. So Denise was a nurse at Mission Hospital. And of course, they would page Zeb and his mother. She shared this one story. Basically, she was running late and Zeb messaged her, paid her to ask what was for dinner, and she didn't get back to him. I assume she was probably busy at the hospital handling some matter there. But when she got home, Zev was actually upset with her about this because he was like, hey, you didn't get back to me. So it really just speaks volume to how close these two really were. So you can only imagine how— distraught she was whenever Zeb disappeared but I want to also talk a little bit about her reaction to the Misty Taylor connection now we know Zeb and his mother were super close so if Zeb had something or knew something you could almost guarantee that Denise also knew about it so she wasn't really supportive of this relationship between zeb and misty taylor um because he was that mama's boy so at this point in the investigation we're days into it and there's no sign of zeb quinn so apd doesn't have really any direction in the case they don't really have any hard evidence uh, as to what happened to zeb quinn no direction but things take a dark turn just a couple days later. As we mentioned, Zeb loved his job. He was a great employee. I think he only missed a
1: shift or two ever in his uh, career there. He was dedicated and he was loyal. So you can only imagine the surprise when his manager, Patty Andrick, had when she picks up the phone one day and the person on the other side claims to be Zeb Quinn. I'm going to let Patty, in her own words, tell you the call, how it all happened. This is from a 2004 interview. Take a listen.
0: I got a phone call here at the store, and um, it turns out it was Jason Owens calling in saying that he was Zeb Quinn and that he was not going to be in to work. And I knew that was not Zeb's voice, and so as soon as he hung up, I hit Star 69 on the phones to find out that it was traced to Volvo Construction Company where Jason Owens worked. That's just such a bizarre thing to have happen, as if Patty wouldn't have known that wasn't Zeb Quinn's voice. But investigators, as you can imagine, end up talking to Robert Jason Owens. That doesn't take place until January 11th. Jason tells investigators he, quote, apologizes for playing phone tag with them. What's interesting about this interaction, Jason surprisingly doesn't deny calling walmart he says that zeb quinn contacted him that day around 10 or 11 a.m to ask if jason could call out on zeb's behalf which is just a weird thing to have happen you know i mean jason wasn't working at that walmart so why would he do it to begin with but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole jason also says that denise falaka zeb's mom had accused him of knowing where zeb's at so at this point things are kind of all over the place but Jason also gives investigators kind of a little bit more information. He says that night that Zeb accidentally ran into his vehicle, causing less than $100 worth of damage.
1: So, Samir, at this point, we basically have three characters in this scenario.
0: Yeah, we have Misty Taylor, Wesley Smith, and Jason Owens. Now, what's interesting about this uh, connection of characters, right, Misty Taylor and Wesley Smith obviously know each other Robert Jason Owens doesn't know these two. So it's interesting that these are our main players in this case at this point. So there's
1: no connection between Robert Jason Owens and Misty and Wesley?
0: Not one that they admit to in the beginning, at least. I mean, later down the road, we learn a little bit more information, but there's no connection at this point for investigators to even connect the dots between these three. Things take a more bizarre turn when Zeb Quinn's Mazda that he allegedly ran into Robert Jason Owens with turns up. Now, go ahead and take a listen to this clip from a story we aired in 2000 that kind of describes the items found in Zeb's car. On the back of the car, there was a set of lips that was drawn on the back window of the car. And on each side of the lips is that exclamation point.
1: Inside the car, investigators found this, a magnetic hotel key.
0: All right. So as you can imagine, pretty bizarre thing to find in a parking lot. But coming up in our next episode, APD actually releases a sketch of someone they believe was behind the wheel. Samir, though, is it one of our three main characters? You know what? You're going to have to tune in next week to find out if they're one of our main three. Until then, I'm Samir Nafsi. And I'm Holly Hedrick. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Good Kid, the 22-year murder mystery of Zeb Quinn. If you're not already, make sure to follow this channel to stay up to date on all of our episodes. Also, leave us a review and feel free to give us a rating. It really helps boost our show. Until next time, I'm Samir Nefsi.